God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. So over the mountains in Thousand Oaks this week, the community marked the one-year anniversary of the mass shootings at the Borderline Bar and Grill. It's a country western club with a real core community. The community loved music, line dancing, and spoke of the inclusive, welcoming feeling of hanging out there. Thousand Oaks this week devoted a day to dedicating a new healing garden, a physical tribute to the victims and survivors. Twelve people were killed last year, nine men, three women, and of them, seven college students, and tragically, a highway patrol officer whose fatal wound came from crossfire from his partner. It's horrific. Yet this week, from that horrible violence, a new life of healing came into being. This healing garden is in the heart of Conejo Creek North Park. It's in the heart of in the heart of the park, and in the heart of the healing garden is a pond. And in the heart of the healing of the pond are twelve jets, one for each of the victims. So these jets of water, one for each victim, are in the middle of this pond, and around the edges of the pond are twelve granite boulders one for each victim. And there are also 12 granite benches, these big boulders on their side with one side made smooth for people to sit on. But there's a reason this is not called a memorial garden. This new sacred space honors the survivors as well. 248 other people were in the borderline bar and grill that night, and 248 survived the gunman's attack. So around these benches, which are around the pond, are pavers, one for each survivor. And before each paver was put into the ground, each survivor was asked to write a message on it. So think about it these pavers with messages from survivors being placed deep in the earth and providing a foundation of sorts, a pathway for literally upholding people who come into this garden for solace, for grief, and for healing. Even the earth that feeds the plants in the main oak tree for this garden holds the community pain transformed. Because right after the shootings, when you know memorials cropped up, hundreds upon hundreds of bouquets of flowers were placed outside uh, the club. People collected those flowers once they'd wilted, kept them, and turn them into compost. And this compost is feeding the plants in this healing garden. 
feeding the oak tree. So every element of this new sacred landscape holds the agony of the community, holds the grief, and holds space for healing and for new life. God is not a God of the dead, but of the living, living in new life and resurrection. And Thousand Oaks' new healing garden holds what we just celebrated over All Saints Sunday last week, this connection between the saints, the ones who've gone before us, who've died, and the connection with the saints today. Resurrected life, eternal life, not only after death, but in the here and now. So Jesus says in today's gospel that God is not the God of, a God of the dead, but of the living, in response to a question, an outrageous hypothetical question posed by the Sadducees. Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem, and he's soon to be crucified. And the Sadducees are provoking him with a theological throwdown of sorts about the resurrection based on their understanding of scripture. Some parts of Judaism, the Pharisees in particular, did believe in a resurrection, a one-time event when everybody would be lifted up to God. And their belief was based on the totality of scripture, everything from the Pentateuch, the first five books of Hebrew scripture, on through all the writings and the prophets. Think of Ezekiel and the valley of the dry bones and God breathing breath in these dead bones to bring them to life. But the Sadducees, on the other hand, they held scripture as just being the first five books, the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. They hold, held those books as solely authoritative without an acknowledgement of resurrection. So their question to Jesus about resurrection is rooted in this, their own understanding of scripture, that there is no resurrection. Their question is bounded by this understanding of scripture, and it's also bounded by their cultural context. The question they ask, the hypothetical they pose, frankly, in my opinion, is a setup that is so distracting and hard to hear that it is difficult to even keep listening for Jesus' response. Because it's about a woman whose husband dies, they have no children, and she's married off to brother after brother. They have no children. And when each brother dies in the worst translation, which is thankfully not what we read today, the five remaining brothers had their turn with her. Poor woman. So granted, this hypothetical, even at, at the time, would have been considered outrageous. But the idea of a woman being married to a man's siblings at that time actually would have had an element of compassion because women had no rights. And typically, if a man died, the widow would be put out with her children. So by keeping her in the family, 
They are guaranteeing she will be fed. They're guaranteeing a save, her being saved from poverty. But even that compassion makes it very difficult to hear about someone bounded up so tight by a patriarchal culture. So we see the Sadducees asking a question within their bounds of scripture, within their bounds of, of the patriarchal setup of, of the time. And what is their question? So in the resurrection, who's she gonna be married to? She had seven husbands. Jesus' response blows open the theological, scriptural, and cultural boxes that their question comes from. He says that in the resurrection, marriage is irrelevant. People are like angels. People are children of God in resurrected life. People are children of the resurrection. So if we can get through hearing this woman being passed from man to man, we can hear the liberation that Jesus is proclaiming. The vision of freedom that he has for her as a child of God, as a child of the resurrection like angels. It's a vision for all of us. A vision of resurrected life where shackles and pain of this life cease. And Jesus points to the resurrected life not being exclusively the domain of the afterlife. God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. So resurrection, he's proclaiming, is coming into being in the here and now. And as Jesus lives post-resurrection, his resurrection, so that resurrection lives for us and in us. And so that hope for healing, wholeness, and liberation is here today. And this is the heart of the Christian faith. It's the heart of Christian hope. It's the heart of the mystery of the Christian life because ours is an embodied faith, one we live out in this world, where the eternal love of God, of Jesus, enters the brokenness of everyday life. We have a savior who was embodied as one of us and continues to live in us and through us. And so we too, like Jesus and with God, we are called to create gardens of healing in the here and now. We're called to create gardens of healing where violence and oppression and horror can begin to be transformed and where resurrection can be begin. The resurrection Jesus talks of in the scripture, in the big picture, is a resurrected life of eternal life. But that resurrection starts here and is alive now. Our healing gardens don't deny pain. Instead, they welcome the presence of new life in resurrected Christ. 
They welcomed Jesus' presence into the living reality of hunger and exploitation, of homelessness, of abuse, of exhaustion, of loneliness, of our suffering and the suffering around us. And in these sacred gardens, time collapses. We become one with the living and the dead, the eternal love of God, where the witness of the pain of the past, the pain of the presence, converge and are upheld in God's loving embrace. And where we are ushered into transformation and the ultimate fullness in eternal life. So yes, God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. Amen.